you go. All right, let's uh, move this around a little bit. Where can we put? We'll put Joseph over here. And we have a red dragon. <coughs> Peace. Christmas dragon. Now, just so you know, I have used this sermon at Ocean View twice over the past 10 years. So if you heard it and are bored, I'm sorry. But I had a special request for a repeat, so I'm obligated. And plus, it's one of my favorite sermons. <laughs> and I used it in Salt Spring Island this summer in August. I said, we're going Christmas in August. So, yeah, Christmas dragon. Well, Matthew and Luke tell us the nativity stories, birth narratives. You know, uh, Matthew, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. We read that this morning. Luke 2, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You, you have those memorized, and even if you've gone through Christmases and gone to churches, you, you've heard those. But there are other accounts in the Bible, other birth narratives. We've looked at them, Galatians 4, um, then there's... Uh, John 1, uh, Philippians 2, uh, you can go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, Old Testament prophecies, New Testament histories. Now, today's nativity story is a very unusual one that is recorded in Revelation chapter 12, a passage that is overlooked during nativity stories. It's part of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ by the apostle John. It was written 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. There was a broad empire persecution of Christians under, under Emperor Domitian. It was in the mid-90s of that first century. Persecuting, killing Christians who would not say, Caesar is Lord. Now, Christians were considered atheists, unpatriotic, and a threat to the stability of the empire. It was acceptable for Christians to practice their faith privately in whatever form that he or she choose, but as long as it does not infringe on the life of the culture at large. The Apostle John is very elderly. He has been exiled to the island of Patmos because of Emperor Domitian's persecution. And while there, he records a vision that we call the Book of Revelation. And the theme is, it is comfort to a persecuted church because God's plan will win out in the end. We're going to look specifically at chapter 12 this morning, but let me give you a little bit of an overview of Revelation. As uh, I see it, there are seven cycles in the book of Revelation. Seven times they tell the story over and over and over, from the first coming to the second coming. First coming through the second coming. Chapter 12 is the fourth retelling of that story. And it starts at the first coming in chapter 12 through to the second coming in chapter 14. And each time they tell the story, it gets a little more detailed, tells a little bit more from the first coming to the second coming. During the Christmas holiday season, we begin to watch Christmas movies. Some are very old, but they're just classics that you've got to see every year. Alistair Sims in A Christmas Carol, Bing Crosby in A White Christmas, Jimmy Stewart in It's Wonderful Life. Now, a few of them make allusions to the real story of Christmas. Christmas Carol does that and some of the others. 
But there's one classic that tells the Christmas story and includes the Christmas dragon. Yeah, it, it kind of, we got a little ahead of ourselves there. They're getting excited. They got to show it. Got to show this one. There was a, a, a man who had, was a stutterer. Uh, people made fun of his looks when he went to Oxford. He graduated with his master in engineering, but he also did some uh, time in the drama area, and he realized that his stuttering would actually stop when he put on another character. They made a Christmas uh, video of him, and it is known as Mr. Bean's Christmas. Mr. Bean is in London. He goes to Harrods department store to buy some Christmas decorations, but gets sidetracked by the toy display. Now, I want you to watch this, because this is Revelation chapter 12. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm pushing it a little bit, but that works good. So, how do we work that all together? Let's go here. The incarnation, the enfleshment of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John chapter 1. God entering our world. God becoming flesh. Deity becoming humanity. Now, that is the story told within time. It is told within our history. The Bible is a historical document. So you read Matthew, Mark, or Matthew, Luke, John, and it tells you the story in history. At about 4, 6 B.C., Jesus was born, and he was God with us. Now, the Apostle John tells us the incarnation story from outside of time. This is very important to grasp. I quote from Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol, This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm about to relate. The ever-present reality of eternity, where there is neither the past nor the future, but only the now. The revelation of the Apostle John in chapter 12 is about the cosmic universe outside of time. There are three characters in the story. There is the woman, the child, and the dragon. We begin to read in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and the crown of twelve stars on her head. Now the Apostle John uses the word sign about a significant event. Significant story is coming. And he uses it seven times in his gospel and three times in Revelation. A great sign in heaven. A woman. Now understand, the woman is not Mary. You could look at it as the woman is the church. The church in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's people, the twelve stars, twelve tribes, twelve apostles. One chosen people in Christ. The woman, the church. Verse 2, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. The identity of the child is found in Revelation 12, verse 5. And a couple of verses down, it says, he will rule all the nations. We compare that with uh, Psalm 2, 9, which is a messianic song talking about Messiah. It says, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possessions. He who will rule all the nations, who is that? That is the Christ. That is the anointed one, the Messiah. That is Jesus. So this child is Jesus, birthed from his people, the church, Old Testament, New Testament, births the Messiah. The third character is the dragon. We get in verse 3, then another sign. Very important part. Another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, this is getting really weird language, but it's apocalyptic language. That's how they speak. That's how what an apocalyptic, that's what a revelation is about. It, it is a, this colorful language. We know that this dragon is representing the devil or Satan. It's revealed in verse 9, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Now, throughout history, Satan has had conflict with the offspring of the woman, humanity. 
Our evil enemy would like to see all of humanity separated from God. It's known as eternal death, separation from God. He wants hopelessness. With a world dominion and destructive power, the dragon, Satan, the devil, seeks to keep humanity from a relationship with God. It says one-third of the stars swept out of the sky. It's referring to the fallen angels who followed Satan in rebellion against God. Verse 4 again, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. It just takes me right to that Mr. Bean and then he comes and he's going to eat that baby. These verses compile all of Jesus' early story, earthly story, into a phrase. The dragon ready to devour the child to prevent his coming. In this passage, it is a phrase. In history, it takes about 5,000 years. It's told within a breath, but when you're looking at it from eternity's perspective, it's all happening in the eternal now. So how does this play out in the history of time? Well, let's step out of the cosmic universe and step back into actual time and history. The dragon is about to devour the child. So how did that play out? Let's go right back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent was working to destroy God's creation. And God speaks to the serpent, to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We have the serpent, Satan. We have the woman, Eve and woman and the, the birthing of the humanity. The offspring of the woman, and New Testament tells us that word seed specifically referred to Jesus, the child. We continue on to Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. And Cain, the older one, kills Abel and Cain becomes a murderer. He's not in the line of Messiah. Jesus came through the line of the next brother, Seth. Following that first murder, the peoples of the world continue to distort God's plan. The dragon's plan is succeeding. People are turning away, away from God, and no one is following God except Noah. Noah, who was righteous in a world of wickedness. We continue to read on, and we read about Abraham. Abraham was going to be a great nation, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, specifically thinking of his seed, Jesus the Messiah. But Sarah was barren. There would be no ancestry for the child. Isaac, though, became the son of the promise, and he was born. And then Jacob and his 12 sons became the patriarchs of a great nation down in Egypt. Down in Egypt where they became slaves. Slaves to be kept under control, and the dragons sought to stop the growth of the people. Exodus 1.22 says, they wanted to eliminate all the children. Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile. We must eliminate the mere children from whom the Messiah, the child, might be born. 400 years later in Israel, Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, has his spear in his hand and he is going to eliminate David's line. 
Because you see, the promised Messiah was to come out of King David's line. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 200 years later, Queen Athaliah. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. Queen Athaliah wanted to destroy all the royal heirs, all the line of David. But Joash was rescued by his aunt. Jehoshaphat took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. We go two centuries later to the Persian Empire, Book of Esther. There was an intended destruction of all the Jewish people during King Xerxes' reign. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. But a young teenager named Esther intervened and caused the king's edict to be reversed in a dramatic rescue. We move into the time of the New Testament. Bethlehem is set to devour this child. Now the census could have disrupted the promise. Mary's pregnancy was unusual. And there was no room for them to stay in Bethlehem. And King Herod, influenced by the dragon, wanted to eliminate the child. When King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. The dragon was at the very door of the stable trying to prevent the birth. Bethlehem is an insignificant little sheep town about six miles out of Jerusalem, home for farmers, shepherds. But the Messiah was born at the very doorstep of Herod's greatest palace, Herodian. If you ever go to Bethlehem, you can stand there and you'll see a big mountain. looks like a volcano. That is the palace of Herodian that Herod built. Herod moved a whole mountain to create that palace. You see, King Herod feared Cleopatra of Egypt. And he built a number of fortress palaces throughout Judea in case Egypt tried to attack Israel. And he would have an escape route to Moab and Edom, his native country. Herodian was the greatest of his palaces. It was 90 feet high, built on a mountain that he moved by slave labor. It was the third largest palace of its day. It covered 45 acres, and the lower palace had 200 acres, complete with a swimming pool so large that you could float boats in it and have mock battles. And right there in the stable, with Herod overlooking him, Jesus was born. The dragon wanted to get rid of that child. But Herod was thwarted in his scheme. God warned Joseph in a dream to escape to Egypt. Joseph took up the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. But 15 to 20 little boys died, but Yeshua escaped. Now, let's go back to the future, back to eternity, back to Revelation 12. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Outside of time, the story continues, okay? Put yourself down. Now we're not, we're not in Matthew and Mark anymore. We're in Revelation 12. We're looking at this whole story that's happening all in the now. 
She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. There it is, that's Jesus. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Every time I read that, I go, what? Like, born and boom, up to heaven. You're outside of time. Birth, atonement, resurrection, ascension. It's all told within a breath, within a single phrase. The child was snatched up to God in his throne. There's no time in eternity. He was born, and he's back in heaven. That was the important part. And it said immediately, verse 7, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The good angels are led by Michael. The bad angels led by the dragon. And it leads us right to the next verse that says, The dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. When you read that word hurled, think, cast out, thrown out, the Greek implies an idea of bounced. It was like they were at a bar and the bouncer just grabbed them by the seat of the pants and threw them out the door. You know, the, the saloon doors and bam, out he goes. Matt Dillon just threw him out into the ground. The dragon was bounced, that ancient serpent. Now, we usually think of the story of Satan's fall from heaven in a timeline. Before Adam and Eve. But here, we are outside of time. It happens all at once. At the greatest pivotal point in the history of the world and the entire universe. The birth of Jesus the fall and defeat of Satan. The disease of disobedience is balanced by the cure of the Savior. And we continue to read in this passage and it begins to expand what's going on in heaven at this pivotal point. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down, bounced out, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are introduced to the overcomers again. If you read through Revelation uh, and through the Gospels of John, the letters of John, he uses this word overcomers. It's, it's the Greek word Nike or Nike you would have on your shoes. And it means the victorious ones. They are overcomers. They overcome the dragon. How are they overcomers? And it tells us right here. They overcame the dragon by the blood of the Lamb, by the sacrifice of Yeshua, the sacrifice of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony, the story of their rebirth. Now the fury of the dragon is against the child. It is now transferred to the followers of the child. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her. And we read that story and I just think of Mr. Bean and his helicopter coming in and boom and taking them out and the church the church, the followers of the child, the church is pursued. But Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. 
Revelation 7, uh, 2, 12, 17 says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast the testimony about Jesus. Who is that? That is the church. That is the followers of Jesus Christ. The dragon makes war against the church, against her offspring, against you. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The dragon continues his attack upon the church because he could not do it against the child because he was bounced out of heaven. The church has brought forth the Christ, the Messiah, and the dragon is mad. There was a preacher's family that had started putting up a nativity scene in their front yard. And so it came the time to set it up. All of them uh, were carrying out the little statues to put in the nativity scene. And finally, everything was in place. There was Mary and Joseph and the manger and the baby and the angels and the shepherds and then all the barnyard animals. And little Scott came out carrying one of his favorite toys, the figure of a fierce Tyrannosaurus Rex, king of the dinosaurs. It was one of those plastic figures that you inflate and in comparison to the other figures, it was an enormous thing, towering over them all and certainly not something to have in a nativity scene. And Dad said, I tried to tell him, Scott, you have to take that back because it doesn't belong here. Dinosaurs existed thousands of years before the baby Jesus and just doesn't belong in a nativity scene. But little Scott insisted. So they finally put it there behind all the other figures, a fierce dinosaur hovering over the manger, and everything else. And Dad said, as we stood back and looked at it, we realized that maybe the dinosaur says more than we realized. For over each of us, there is this menacing character that threatens to rob us of all of our joy and our peace and our cheer. But Christmas reminds us that the baby in the manger is stronger than all the dragons in your life and mine. And God has given us the victory through the gift of his son. We battle the dragon. That's why life can be hard. That's why bad things happen to good people. That's why sometimes your joy is attacked. Who or what is trying to devour your joy? There are shadows of sin that overpower the good. There are addictions that seek to take your joy, alcohol, drugs, codependency, pornography, abortion, cancer, terrorism, family violence. There are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, the lure of entertainment, the need to control. These things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The dragons in your life. Who or what is trying to devour your joy? So how do we battle the dragons in our life? Dragons come. Dragons are part of life. They, the, the dragon is seeking to devour, to attack the followers of the child. The dragon makes war against those who obey God's command and hold fast the testimony about Jesus. How do we battle the dragon? The dragon was overcome by the power of by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. There are two things. Number one, remember that our enemy 
Satan, the dragon, has been defeated. Through Jesus, we are overcomers. We overcome. We are victorious. Through simple faith, we appropriate what Jesus has already done. The dragon is overcome. Jesus provides power that is stronger than any evil in or out of our world. It is victory by the blood of the Lamb, the sacrificial death of Jesus. And the martyria, the testimony. The Greek word is martyria. That sounds familiar to you. You think of martyr. That is the word testimony. It's a judicial word. It's used in a law court. And it means the evidence given or the record, the report, the testimony, the witness. It's like the witness on the witness stand gives a martyria. Martyria is where we get the word martyr from because the martyrs refused to change their testimony, their report, their story, and they were executed for their faith. It's your martyria that defeats the dragon. Your personal story of Jesus. Your relationship to the child, the king, the Messiah. Your relationship to his story, his victory over the dragon. Because his victory is our victory. Our personal story starts with how we came to know Jesus. We have a relationship with God. And that which separated us from God, our sin, is dealt with. It is gone. And we are adopted into his royal family. Satan is defeated, but he still endeavors to keep us separated from God. Even death, though, has lost its sting because we have the blessed hope. There is power in your testimony. My testimony, my story started in 1963 at the age of eight at a vacation Bible school and uh, Mrs. Robinson actually gave me the piece of paper that she wrote down all the people that uh, put up their hand that day, August 14th, 1963. And it's got my name there, where I remember distinctly she had on the board A, B, C. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sin and confess that Jesus is your Lord. She said, you go home tonight and you pray that prayer and then you tell me tomorrow. Well, that says, man, I've been coming to Sunday school and church for eight years and that's the first time I heard that. Probably not, but it's the first time it made sense to a little eight-year-old. And said, that's my story. And for 60 years, that has been my story, my testimony, my way to help the church overcome the dragon by the power of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony. Let's pray together. There are a few things we need to be praying about. Again, pray about our church in transition as we are going through this whole process and looking for a new pastor. Pray for the Garnet family and the passing of uh, Alex, uh, Karina's husband. Pray for Wendy Fetchko. Her dad passed away a week or so ago, so pray for the Fetchkos. There are others of us who will be missing a family member this year because 
someone passed away. Remember illness. Um, Les and Anita Pangborn have both had new cancer issues come into their life, and they're dealing with that through the doctors, but they have asked for prayer. Pray for little Micah this morning. Notice um, Fernando and Eleni aren't here. He was very sick last night, and they're trying to deal with all of that. And a lot of us have colds and flus and all that going through, so pray for health for us. Let's pray together. Father, your word says that we can be overcomers because of the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word of our testimonies. Help us share our stories of our relationship with Jesus, with our family, friends, and community. And if we don't have a story of life with Jesus, then help us from this very moment to begin that story. Lord Jesus, we thank you for entering time and coming to earth so you could redeem us. We think of the extent to which you are willing to go in order to save us. It makes us want to shout, to celebrate, to cry with thankfulness. You love us so much and we're so grateful for that love. Without you, we would still be lost and struggling to find a way to God. But because of everything you've done for us, today we are free. Our lives are blessed. Jesus is our Lord. Heaven is our home and the dragon has no right to control us. The Bible tells us that in Jesus all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and we've been given fullness in Christ and share in his authority over every spiritual power and authority. But we confess that we do not always feel like overcomers. We often give in to the influence of this world instead of submitting to Christ. Jesus, Messiah, save us from ourselves. May we be full of your spirit and your mighty power, the power of the resurrection. Teach us and use us that we might be people who see strongholds demolished in our lives and help others to walk in freedom. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that because we belong to you in Christ Jesus, you surround us with your presence, that you are a wall of fire around us. You, O oh Lord, are our strength and our refuge. In every situation and struggle, you are with us, and we will not be afraid, for we trust in your name. In Jesus' name, strengthen us to submit to you as we resist the dragon who would seek to lead us astray and help us to stand firm in our faith. Give us, we pray, your perspective of the situations we face. And may we live victoriously as a conqueror because of Jesus. May we be full of faith in your word, for we belong to you, Lord Jesus, and you have overcome the world. You have hurled the dragon down. You have overcome we bring our church to you, asking you to bless Ocean View in these days as we seek to, to continue on, to continue our witness in this community, continue our testimony, to increase our testimony, and to find a leader who would come and pastor us and shepherd us. We pray for those who struggle with a loss, and that is part of life that there is death as well. And we thank you for Jesus who gives us the ability to go beyond death into life. We pray for the Garnet family, the Fetchko family, and others of us who will be missing a family member at the Christmas table this year. We think of those who struggle with illness, significant illness. Think of Les and Anita. We pray for little Micah that you would uh, raise him through this uh, cold and uh, bring him to health and strength. And many others who are struggling, especially the little children, who get into these coughs, and the, it, it's just really hard, and we pray it would not go any worse into pneumonias and stuff. Lord, we just pray your healing hand. Lord, with thanksgiving and praise, we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. 
Amen.